is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace. And today we're going to talk about global teams. Now, I don't know what's happening in your lives, but in my experience, everybody I'm talking to is dealing with global context. So that often means you have a manager in one country and you live in a completely different country. You have team members scattered in all sorts of different time zones. And learning to navigate that, especially as a manager, can be quite difficult. So one of the things you'll find in a global context is that you don't have as much control and you're way more dependent on people you can't reach and understand as well as you would like. So how do you get your head around what this global context means for you as a leader? And then we're going to get very practical. What do you do to lead a global team? What are the do's and don'ts? And how do you make sure your team is going to stay on success? We're also going to talk about the matrix, this lovely thing that everybody is dealing with, and see if we can get some clues about how to think about this construct in general. And then lastly, we're going to talk a little bit about the culture you create in your team, particularly when it's geographically dispersed with a dozens different expectations from everybody. So with me today is Ernest Gundling. Ernest is co-founder and managing partner of Aperion Global. And Ernie is really responsible for our council's clients around strategic global approaches to leadership, organizational development, and relationships with business partners. He coaches executives with global responsibilities, and he works with multicultural management teams. Now, this is Ernie's also lived and traveled extensively in Asia and Europe, including six years in Japan and a year in Germany. Um, he's a lecturer at the Haas Business School at the University of California, Berkeley, PhD from University of Chicago, and a bachelor from Standard University, and he's the co-author or author of four books. The book we're going to talk about today is Leading Across New Borders, but there are three others, Global Diversity, What is Global Leadership, and Working Globe Smart. So, Ernie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Wanda. I'm glad to be here. I am really looking forward to this one because I know this global challenge of having people scattered is a big issue. It's a really important one to get on top of. So you make the argument that while companies have been global for decades, the demands of managers are greater today and that managers are not as much in control as they might like to be. They put their success in the hands of people they often don't meet. So has this really changed in the last decade? And if so, how? Yes, absolutely. And it's going to continue to change uh, since um, since I was born. The population of the planet has <clears throat> more than quadrupled. So <laughs> imagine what that means. Um, and almost all of that growth has come in emerging markets around the world. So markets that maybe weren't even on the radar screen of many companies or many team leaders years ago, uh, suddenly we have representatives of those markets um, in our companies, in our teams, uh, among our customers. And so we need to pay attention to who they are and what they can contribute. 
Yeah. I know a lot of clients are focused, particularly as they're trying to grow business in emerging markets or in far-flung places around the globe, that they're really looking to find the talent that is local. That's what everybody says. I also know lots of companies are struggling to do that. But I agree with you. We are seeing more and more people from different cultures in the headquarters office. And that has interesting implications. So how should we think about the demands of this global context today? What's your view of the key things we need to be focused on? Well, um, for a global team leader, I think part of the implication is that we need to check our assumptions at the door, that increasingly we're going to be crossing unfamiliar boundaries uh, at home or abroad, we're going to have an increasingly globalized home market. We, we walk down the hall and we're going to find that there's uh, an incredible amount of diversity, far more than there might have been 10 or 15 years ago. And also that many of the mental models that we have and that we might be running our team with are out of date. And so we need to constantly be thinking about how am I leading my global team, what are the the mental models that I'm working with? Um, Are there people on my team that feel like insiders or like outsiders? And how can I really leverage the full capabilities of my team to to see the world through the eyes of uh, customers and employees that are in very different places and are experiencing a different reality on a daily basis? So I think tapping the, the full capabilities of my team and even asking myself, do I really know my global team members is a good place to start. So I agree with you about this. Do you really know them? There's this sense that you have a clue about them, but when you start to probe somebody and you say, what are their hobbies and what are their family structure like and are they close by or is the family scattered? You finally don't know very much about that person's personal side. Um, Go back to this thing that you said that we have to check assumptions at the door, and one of those is our mental models of the team. It can be out of date. So give me an example. Sure. Uh, I think we increasingly are running into situations where we're working with colleagues in other parts of the world. Many companies have moved to outsourcing or offshoring or inshoring models. There are many different uh, forms or many different descriptions uh, that these take, but increasingly we're working with counterparts uh, on the other side of the world, maybe 12 hours away in terms of a time zone or even 11 and a half or 12. There are many different, depending on the location. And so we might be working with team members that we've never even met in person before. And so the question then would become, how could I see things through their eyes? How can I understand their realities? And how can I make them fully functioning, uh, fully performing members of the team? And am I fully utilizing their potential? Am I uh, assuming that they're a, a cheap offshoring resource that I can turn to for uh, things that I would throw across the wall or throw over the wall and then, then get back? Or do we have to ha- actually have to think more in terms of how we would build a, a global team with members that are more equal in status? Because increasingly, as, as an example of one assumption, I think we need to check um, many of the, the best uh, uh, folks who represent the best talent on our global teams around the world say, 
I'm not into this outshore, offshoring model. I, I don't really want to be a second-class citizen. I want to be a full-fledged member of the team and contribute in the way that any other person would. And I, I aspire to be a manager myself. <laughs> so if, if we're in this uh, offshoring mindset, uh, we may not be, or, or if we're thinking of, in terms of outsourcing, we might not have the right model at all in terms of the aspirations or the talents of our team members. Okay. So part of the mental models is how I understand those team members that are not of my culture or close to me. And also, how do I understand their aspirations and not assume that I know where they want to go and how they want to go? Okay. All right. So is you said we need to check our assumptions, and I'm getting a sense of those assumptions. I have a feeling for the entire show we're going to be coming back to checking our <laughs> yeah, assumptions yeah. and checking our assumptions. Um, are there other things we need to be thinking about as global leaders? <clears throat> well, absolutely. It's In some ways, it's easiest to deal with uh, the geographical differences because they're a bit more obvious, but on our own team and, and in the cubicle next to us, we also are likely to have a great deal of diversity. So at Appearing Global, when we look at our, uh, our clients and try to think through with them, what does it mean to be an inclusive leader and how can I deal with the, the day-to-day diversity on my team, you may also be talking about diversity of functions because finance people approach the world through a different framework than does product development and marketing may have one um, approach and and set of lenses that they look at things and sales might have another. So there's function, there's of course race and ethnicity, there's gender, there's uh, culture, there are generational differences. We, uh, I think every year the proportion of millennials in the workplace uh, is greater and greater. Now the, the, the older end of the millennial boom is uh, 36, 37. So, so for many workplaces, that's a substantial amount of the entire workforce. And of course, there are generational differences and in, in characteristics that we need to pay attention to. And there are also cognitive styles. So some of us are more analytical and work in terms of data and, and lists and categories. And some of us are more emotive and some of us have a uh, a, a critical mindset that allows us to, to look at things from a, a more uh, critical perspective while uh, others may prefer a blue sky conversation. So taking those different cognitive styles as well and being able to integrate them effectively is a huge challenge for a team leader. Okay. And again, you come back to the notion of why a checking your assumptions can be such an important first step. Because if the assumption is the person in the cubicle next to you or in the door next to you or the desk next to you has a lot in common, they may actually not have a lot in common from cognitive style to socioeconomic background to who knows what all the variations. Now, you've done some research in this area. You've been part of some research. Tell us about that research and what it says. Sure. What we tried to do was to look at a variety of areas that are important to companies today, <clears throat> and uh, these included the whole um, area of outsourcing as well as the topic of once we've made a uh, gone through an acquisition, how might we integrate the acquisition? If we're trying to innovate, <clears throat> how do we innovate together in a way that truly crosses global lines effectively? So. 
we tried to look at some of the major uh, functions that companies need to um, be able to perform effectively in order to either be more efficient or as an organization or to grow in light of all the changes that are happening in this global context. And we encountered in, in case after case uh, a whole set of assumptions that uh, people needed to throw out as well as um, a, a new set of assumptions that they needed to to begin to work with in a more flexible way. And, and we, in our work, we talk about frame shifting or style switching, really being able to uh, go into a situation and to recognize that there are, are cultural differences, there are differences in what the uh, consumer um, interest or the consumer needs might be. And also on my own team, I might have differences in functional perspectives and cognitive styles. And to be able to have enough cognitive agility or flexibility or this capability to frame shift in a way that allows us to um, have a good conversation to incorporate the information that we need to incorporate and then finally make a, a decision that reflects the best input of team members and to go forward in an effective and aligned way. These are some of the skill sets that uh, a person in a global team leadership position today uh, absolutely needs. All right. So I get the principle of frame shifting that I need to, and it comes back to where we started, this notion that I have, I can recognize the assumptions that I've made, the mental model that I have, the approach that I have, and I can see that there's another one with someone I'm trying to deal with. And I shift gears. I try to focus on them. It sounds like a great idea. Do you have any tactics for how to do this? <laughs> I think it's probably best to give a, a specific example or two. So great. one of the, the teams that we looked at in some detail was a team where there was now uh, an outsourcing relationship. The team leader was a, a company in the pharma industry. The team leader is a fellow by the name of Michael uh, very capable um, and um, someone with a pretty short fuse <laughs> and, and someone mm-hmm. who is famous within his organization for getting things done. And he was working with uh, a counterpart uh, in India, happened to be named Jazz, and uh, Jazz is a, a Sikh um, fellow in his uh, mid-30s, uh, um, <clears throat> hardworking um strong aspirations of his own, and Michael sent a set of data to Jazz and requested a report, and of course, um, they don't know each other particularly well because uh, they've actually never met uh, in uh, a face-to-face situation, and Jazz says, uh, in response to Michael's question, can you do this? Jazz says, sure, I can do it. So, two weeks pass, uh, Michael gets the report back. And he's sorely disappointed because what he sees from his perspective doesn't have uh, a sufficient uh, level of interpretation. There's not an executive summary. Uh, Jazz has taken the data and he's organized it to some degree, but he's not put it into the format that Michael really needs to then be able to share with his own customers in the marketing communications area that he works with. And so, so Michael suddenly reaches some pretty negative conclusions about Jazz and his capabilities. And then when we interview uh, Jazz on his side, he has a whole different perspective. He says, well, you know, the, the company is trying to move to this 
system where we're all equals in this global team context. But, you know, the, the reality is I'm still a second-class citizen, and I don't know Michael very well, and I, I felt like it wasn't really my place to draw a lot of specific conclusions. I thought that he would, uh, instead of just providing me with a whole uh, bundle of data, that he would interact with me uh, to a greater degree. And besides, it's ultimately his responsibility of the form that the report takes. So there was this kind of passive-aggressive uh, and, and negative response from Jazz, who at the same time aspires to uh, a higher role within the organization. And so, so this interaction, very unsuccessful and unsatisfactory to both sides, then you have to begin to break it down and ask yourself, well, why did this happen? And where does the responsibility really lie? And what could each person do? And by the way, it's not at all one-sided. <laughs> so, so, of course, uh, Jazz needs to be able to communicate difficulty. Well, maybe two weeks, I, I've got other priorities, so I can't necessarily respond within your deadline. Uh, I have uh, this question and that question and another question. There are, there are a whole variety of things that, that Jazz needs to do, but Michael, as the team leader, also needs to realize that for Jazz to even be able to reach out to him to begin with, they need to establish a relationship. They need to know each other a little bit better, even in this virtual context. Um, Michael needs to learn more about Jazz's capabilities and maybe provide him with a best practice model. Uh, he may need to receive some hands-on coaching uh, and some constructive feedback. And, and so Michael did... Uh, the classic, uh, sometimes uh, some of our uh, client uh, employees refer to this as delegate and disappear. So, so from Jazz's <laughs> perspective, Michael delegated and disappeared. And rather, in this case, he needs to take a much more hands-on and relationship approach to helping Jazz get from uh, one particular stage or set of capabilities to another so that he can become a fully-fledged uh, and, and high-performing team member. Okay. Well, in the simple form, I can imagine from Jazz's point of view, it feels that there isn't care and concern from Michael. Because the feeling is that there's just something dumped. And I can also say from Michael's point of view, you feel like Jazz should have said, I need help. And where are you? And can we talk about this? I'm not sure what format you want. You can see that one. Okay. So take the case of Michael. How does he begin to frame switch? Is it just a matter of stopping and asking questions? Well, that's part of it. And part of it may also be uh, trying to put himself in the shoes of Jazz and to understand his perspective to begin with. So um, newly uh, appointed member of the global team, high potential, high aspirations, but isn't really familiar with this particular report format and uh, doesn't know how to do it and therefore may need a more intensive level of hands-on than Michael would give to. So, so Michael is, is from the U.S., but he's based in Switzerland. If he were to provide the level of uh, kind of hands-on um, uh, care that I'm recommending with Jazz, he might be rebuffed by his Swiss colleagues because they would say, I'm a professional, leave me alone. I know how to do this. <clears throat> but in Jazz's case, uh, he needs more support. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have the, the potential or the, 
the capability. He just uh, is coming from a different uh, spot in terms of his own professional experience. So, so part of frame shifting involves understanding what jazz really needs, what his current level of capabilities might be, and then how to begin to get him uh, up to speed in a way that will really serve the needs of the global team. Okay. All right. So I get this sense of the mental model that you assume in this case that Jazz knows what he's doing, has seen this report, knows how to generate a report, and off we go trundling along that he won't want any help or any reaction exactly the way my other co-located colleagues would have reacted. At the same time, you don't want to offend Jazz by asking him questions that make him seem like he isn't up to speed. So how do you go about finding out how much hands-on help, support a colleague needs around the world, especially when you can't walk by their desk and see? Well, and we need to keep in mind the cultural variables, too. So um, from Jazz's perspective, he sees um, Michael as being a person of a higher rank from headquarters, and so there's a lot of natural deference. Um, you know, Jazz is likely to have a, a much more hierarchical perspective or attitude. And so from his standpoint, the only way to begin to bridge this is if Michael's willing to reach out and to establish a a relationship um, and a context that makes Jazz feel comfortable about approaching him with questions and, frankly, <laughs> telling him what he doesn't know. So, so there are a variety of specific things that Michael can do, um, but uh, they they include, um, for instance, asking Jazz more questions about his background and providing instead of um, or prior to feedback. Um, providing him with a best practice model and walking him through it and and asking him if he's familiar with this, um, staging uh, a feedback conversation at an earlier uh, event. So we often talk about milestones in the context of global teams, and often the milestones have to be more closely spaced if this uh, interaction is going to be mutually satisfactory. So instead of saying, I'd, I'd like the report in two weeks, you can say, let's go back and, and look at what you've got uh, a couple of days from now and make sure that we're on track with each other. That way there's an ability to check in an earlier stage. Now, Michael can't do this forever and he can't do this with every employee. Uh, he's got to do it selectively or he's going to burn out as the team leader because uh, the team leader can't be every, everywhere and can't be everything to all people. But selectively to bring key members of the team up to speed, um, he may need to take these initial steps to, um, first of all, make sure he really understands their capabilities and their level of competency, and then um, make sure that any competency gaps are addressed carefully okay. and thoroughly. All right. So I get this sense of, again, we come back to where we started, checking the assumptions at the door that what you think people have been exposed to know how they think may not be what's really going on. And that there's a bit of need to be a bit more hands-on, carefully, available. You have some issues of hierarchy that you have to deal with, depending upon the culture that you're on across the boundaries that you're dealing with. And then just tighter milestones and a little bit feedback early on and build that relationship so that someone's comfortable saying what they know or don't know or asking for that help. Okay? 
All right, well, we're going to take a break at this point. And um, with me today is Ernie Gundling. And the book that we have been talking about is Leading Across New Borders. Ernie is a specialist in helping clients develop strategic approaches or global approaches to leadership, organizational development, and relationships. And he works with global uh, cross-cultural management teams. When we come back, I want to talk about how do you manage the team. And in particular, let's talk about this lovely topic of matrix. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace, Every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Ernie Gundling, and we have been talking about global teams. In fact, the book that we're talking about is Leading Across New Borders. And the notion here is how do we help managers who are dealing with teams scattered around the globe, often whom they never get a chance to meet, get the best capability out of the team and out of the team members and out of the exchange? So I think the three things that I take away from the last segment are, as Ernie said at the very beginning, it's a number one thing to do as a manager is to check your assumptions. Check your assumptions about the person and their background, their their life. Check your assumptions about their experiences, what they've seen, what they know, what they don't know. Check your assumptions about their aspirations, what they hope to achieve, and check your assumptions about their style because their approach and your approach may be similar, may not be. 
Second, this most important thing is really getting to know that person so you build some comfort, particularly with the key individuals, so that they have a chance at challenging back or asking a question or even telling you what it is they don't understand or don't know. And then the last piece is hands-on, earlier milestones, earlier feedback until you're sure that you're all on the same page. And to do that, obviously, in a kind way, we're not saying we want to check that people are competent or not. We just want to check that my assumption about how you would do a report is the same as your assumption. So, okay, in that context, I want to focus on managing the team. So, Ernie, matrix. Everybody I know is in a matrix. And I believe in the last 10 years, the matrix has gotten more complicated. It used to be only three, and now it seems like it's four and five dimensions on the matrix. So, is this the best way to be organized? Is there another way? <laughs> well, I think um, we're stuck with the matrix, Wanda. Sorry to, <laughs> sorry oh, to report this, but uh, I think the more global you get, the more you need to work across different geographies and different business units and different uh, functional areas. So uh, as as far as I can tell, in fact, we've even <clears throat> seen some clients recently who felt that they were too decentralized and were working in regional fiefdoms or stovepipes. And so they've moved to a more uh, centralized organizational format, which absolutely required greater number of matrix relationships. So if anything, we're seeing more movement towards the matrix rather than away from it. Okay. All right. So can you give us any clue about how we should be managing this matrix? <laughs> sure. Maybe, again, an example would help. So Great. We had a chance to uh, interview a whole set of people who were um, uh, titled by their organization as master collaborators. These are people who are really, really good at working uh, with within their own teams as team leaders and also across teams uh, in this matrix context. So often, <clears throat> whether it's uh, software development or product development, um, uh, any kind of global initiative, global rollout, you've got not just one team, but actually multiple teams working together, or you've got a team which is comprised of representatives from different teams or groups. And one of these people that we interviewed so um, his name is Vasily. He's a, a big engineer, an outdoorsman, a, a gray speckled beard, um, works in a major high-tech firm. He, he described, he confessed actually that in the early days of his work with this um, very expanded project team there in the middle of a, um, a, a huge product development project that his team members were at loggerheads. they they really were constantly in conflict. There was all kind of, uh, kinds of fighting, and there was a lack of trust. And, and according to Vasily, he said, well, you know, really, we just didn't like each other very much, and the team wasn't working well. And so we finally, after six months of this uh, repeated conflict, we got together in person. And, and by the way, um, we know there are limitations for any kind of team on uh, budgets and travel and being, get to, being able to get together in person. But if you can afford it, absolutely doing that at the outset or the kickoff of your team effort is, um, 
highly desirable, and it helps you to set a common context, a shared um, sense of alignment. And Vasily's uh, remark in this case is, in that two or three days together, we got more done than in the entire six months. And the reason why was we began to analyze our stakeholders, and we realized that we had separate reporting relationships. We had conflicting metrics. We were reporting into different organizational structures with different strategies, and also we were trying to meet different internal and external customer demands. And so our team was being pulled apart by all these different forces, and no wonder we weren't aligned, and no wonder we didn't like each other very well. And and in fact, he said, after we finally figured out that our stakeholders had such diverse interests, we were finally able to to have a conversation together about, okay, how do we prioritize the needs of these different stakeholders? <clears throat> how can we look together at the people that we really need to satisfy and the goals that we really need to meet? And for the first time, we realized that our differences were not so much personal as they were a result of this matrix context and that we needed to have greater alignment <clears throat> with our various reporting relationships and bring our metrics further into alignment, that we had to look at ways to align the strategies of the different organizations that we represented and also prioritize the customer demands that we're looking at. So not an easy balancing act, but, but far easier than just thinking that I don't trust these guys because they don't have the interests of this uh, enterprise at heart. And uh, actually, the, the people that I'm working with are um, not consummate professional. So, so they went from that initial stage of real discord and dislike of each other to a much more constructive stage of being able to analyze the different matrix constituents together and uh, align around a common set of priorities. See, you can see why a team lead who's really good at drilling through all the chaos that's happening in various interpersonal interactions and understanding that it's the stakeholder differences, all of which are legitimate, but that they're pulling the team apart. And then to do an exercise around that that really helps the team see that rather than think that the person across the table is an absolute idiot. But that, you know, geez, that's awfully hard to do when you are not sitting with people. So how does a team lead get better skill at what it is that's pulling the team apart? Is it always stakeholders or are there other things as well? Yeah, I think actually many global teams are not even positioned for success from the beginning. So if, if I were in a position as a team leader in the early stages of a team effort, I would be putting questions to the executives in charge before I even took on the assignment. So you might be asking questions like, is there a real executive sponsorship for the team uh, or have the team and its goals been established with buy-in from all the key people in the matrix? <laughs> Are there other key stakeholders that we haven't thought about and do we have their support as well? Is it even possible to establish a shared vision and a set of common objectives for team members? Um, do, do we have a shared sense of urgency or a priority that the, one of the worst challenges for a team leader is when you've got 
uh, a team of 15 people all working at 10% um, with, with other priorities. So do I have enough of a mind share of the people on my team to be able to be successful? And then um, do we have the resources that we need to be able to accomplish the team's goals? So there are five or six questions that I think a good team leader needs to ask even before taking on the job that will help to position the team for success. And, and without that, I, I would consider just walking away and saying, no, thank you. I, I think um, there are better things I have to do with my career. <laughs> that also comes with some risks in and of itself. So if I just repeat, I think I got most of these questions, is that is there executive sponsorship? Um, is there have the goals been articulated, and is there buy-in within across the matrix? Who are the other stakeholders that we've thought about or not thought about, and where are they? Have we talked to them or not talked to them? Is there any option for creating a shared vision for the team? Can we even get there? Do we have enough shared priorities and enough mind share from people, and do we have the resources we need? Did I get all of those, Ernie? Uh, metrics is another one. So metrics. for years, we've done a, a global teams survey uh, looking at, at global teams and some of the things that work well for them and some of the things that are particularly challenging. And the, the number one item that has come up as a low score is an item that, um, if I recall correctly, it's uh, – I'll try to quote it. The team's reward system encourages cooperation and shared effort among team members. So that's the, the number one challenge for global teams. <clears throat> your, your metrics, your reward system are not aligned. So, so if you can get that aligned either to begin with or as a team leader, if you can look for ways to do that with your fellow team members, I think um, at least based on the and this is quite extensive research. More than 2,000 teams um, have gone through this particular survey. This emerged as the number one issue. And then another one was, does the team receive the resources and cooperation it needs from other parts of the company? So, so those are things that uh, I think are worth keeping in mind. Okay. Yeah, I certainly see as teams are trying to work that it may be a priority and we may have gotten alignment for that team, but that the rest of the organization isn't necessarily on track with it. And then that causes all sorts of havoc trying to sell it in. Okay, so some advice. Suppose I have decided that this is a really good opportunity and I really think it's a good for my career and the executive sponsor is somebody that I you know, have a lot of faith in. So saying no is a problem. And yet I discover that the goals aren't really very clearly aligned and there isn't really buy-in across the matrix. Um, any advice on what to do? <laughs> well, you're very trusting to take on this team to begin with. <laughs> um, but sure, I mean, then, then you, the, the best you can do is to go back to good facilitation techniques, right? So if you've got counterparts in India, uh, if you can all manage it, and you might even have to pay for the darn plane tickets yourself, but travel to India to meet the team members in person and learn more about them. Uh, Make sure you provide a big picture introduction to everyone. Um, And and that's another way of creating alignment is often we've all got a piece of the puzzle, but 
we don't necessarily have the big picture. <clears throat> you can set those um, more tightly spaced milestones. You can, if you're used to having uh, team meetings with a large group of people and maybe think about who are my key counterparts <clears throat> in other locations and set up a way to uh, check in with them offline so that you can get a more frank input and insight than you might otherwise. Um, <clears throat> so, so you have those one-on-one side conversations. And by the way, you might want to have some of those side conversations when you're not calling about a problem. Uh, often if you, if you call as part of a regular check-in, you can establish some more context that will make your counterparts um, comfortable in sharing the, the real story with you or, or just another one that's likely to help you get at what is the nub of the issue ask open-ended questions rather than yes-no questions. So going back to Michael, he asked Jazz if he could get the report done in two weeks, and Jazz said, sure, yes. And that was the end of the conversation. But he could have asked instead, uh, what would be a date that would uh, be feasible for you, for example? And that would have uh, perhaps engendered a whole different conversation that could have got at the fact that Jazz has other matrix stakeholders that are putting other demands on him, uh, and uh, these are, are folks that, that Michael doesn't have insight into. So, so for Michael to even go through that discovery process, uh, he's got to ask a different form of question. And then, of course, there are all the good reflective listening and paraphrasing and summarizing skills that can help make it a rich dialogue rather than a one-way conversation. So, Ernie, we're right back to just practice really good management at the end of the day. So get to know people, make sure they have a a big picture introduction, that there's not just one piece, that you have tighter milestones, you can kind of check in with people, that you have sideline conversations that are not just calling, that you're not always calling about a problem, that you ask open-ended questions and you're actually really listening. So, so that's there's some truth to that, and um, I think what is challenging in the global context is that good management is harder to do. So, if you've got um, virtual team members, if you've got different languages, if you've got different time zones, um, you've got some real challenges that you um, don't have quite as much if you've got an intact team in your home office, even though there may be an increasing amount of diversity in that. But the the more the diversity that you have on the team, the easier it is to set up this insider and outsider dynamic, and the easier it is for team members to feel uh, misunderstood or excluded, and the easier it is for the team leader to not have the full picture. So I think you know, going back to this um, uh, point about trying to um, go beyond the assumptions that we may begin with um, to to really kind of open up the top of our heads and to, to fill ourselves with information about different team members and different uh, customer sets and different stakeholders. It's only then that those good management skills can be put to work effectively because if we're using them in too narrow a context or with too narrow a set of information, we're trying to replicate our past successes using the same old methods. And, and we know what Einstein said about trying to solve problems using the same method as a, as a definition of insanity, right? So, right. so um, we, we 
sometimes need to move to a, a, a higher level of inclusiveness as a team leader in this global context and, and global may be in the same building uh, increasingly these days. And, and I think that's the challenge. Right. Right. I get that. I love this one that you're that we need to fill our heads with different sorts of information about the individuals, about the different customers, about the different stakeholders, about the different environment all the way around and not try to repeat, replicate our past success with the same method and the same approach we used last time. Easier said than done. Okay, we're almost time to take a break, but I have to ask one more question. So, Ernie, in the context of working with global teams, we all know that if you can get together face-to-face, that's preferable. What if you can't do it? Any tips? <laughs> well, yeah, it's a common challenge, and that's where we get into this topic of how to create more context, right? <clears throat> so <laughs> the, the, the technology keeps changing, and there are richer and richer media out there that are available to us. Um, but uh, an example of a low-context communication method would be email, right? And, and yet, it's the method that we, we tend to lean on, and some people even try to, to solve conflicts with email, and, and we all know what happens with that. You have this exchange back and forth, and the exchange gets more and more heated, and pretty soon we're having this fight via email. That's absolutely the wrong thing to do. If, if there is a potential for conflict, then you want to move up the ladder to uh, a higher context form of communication. In this case, context means the, the ability to have a back and forth, a spontaneous back and forth exchange, to have um, verbal as well as nonverbal cues. So, so pick up the phone and call the other person. Um, that's better than email or if you have a chance, um, have a video conference, uh, the video conference technology or is getting better and better. And so even more these days in our own work, we'll just use um, Skype with video for internal meetings. And as clunky as the video can be sometimes, that's still more context. <laughs> you, you see the person in, in a room and you sometimes see, uh, you know, famously, as we saw with the BBC recently, uh, children wandering through or spouses or, or pets. <laughs> and it's a whole different level of, of context than just uh, a, a nasty email. So, okay. so absolutely move up that scale of context and then maybe follow the phone call or the, um, the, the video conference with an email so that you create more context that way by confirming what you've discussed. Okay, great. I love that. So the notion is to move to add more context. When we can't do face-to-face, I've got to find ways to add more context, more nonverbal, more back and forth, more visual, more sight around the office and all those sorts of things. Okay, Ernie, we're going to have to take a break. With me today is okay. Ernest Gundling. The book that we've been talking about is Leading Across New Borders, and Ernie is the co-founder and managing partner of Aperion Global. We'll be right back. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to create the right culture. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. 
If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Ernie Gundlin, co-founder and managing partner of Aperian Global and the co-author of Leading Across New Borders. He's also the co-author or author of Global Diversity, What is Global Leadership and Working Globe Smart. And Ernie works with um, coaches, executives with global responsibilities and works with multicultural management teams. In this last segment, we were talking about how you deal with all the complexity that comes with a global team. And I think the two things that really strike me there are this notion that you need to empty your brain and be very conscious about different team members' perspectives and experiences, different customers' expectations and needs, and different stakeholder demands, and not just try to replicate your past success in the same way that you did in the past. So that openness, again, we're back to the check your assumptions. I also like this, when there's the potential for conflict, increase the context. All right, so Ernie, in this last segment, I want to talk about creating the right kind of culture where everybody feels that they are a part of it, that they're valued, uh, that the communication patterns, the norms and experiences kind of, we understand how to work with each other. And often we'll call that being inclusive. But can you give us an example of what this really looks like in practice? Sure. So a person by the name of Ingrid comes to mind. Ingrid is a a Swede in her mid-30s who's a, a banker, works for a firm that's based out of London, and um, Ingrid was assigned an ambitious person, accepted an assignment to Bangalore, and was very successful early days in um, managing her team there. Um, and after a year or so on assignment, thought she was in line for promotion to the next level. Uh, she thought she was going to get a, a promotion and considered herself as a person on fast track, but then just a week or so before, she found that she'd been taken off the list. And she later found that she'd been taken off the list because the company's strategy was changing and they wanted to promote 
local employees, they were getting a lot of complaints about too many expats. And the people in Bangalore, the, the employees in Bangalore said, hey, we're capable. We don't need all these expats. So um, if you want to retain us, you need to promote us. And so pretty soon, Ingrid was working for a tool. Uh, and a tool, a local um, Indian fellow, didn't have um, the same background as Ingrid at all, at all. In fact, he came from an environment where, um, unlike uh, Michael, who we were describing before, a tools role had been to manage his local employees, many of whom were fresh out of school, uh, had a lot of learning to do in a very hands-on and micromanaging way. And Atul took that hands-on micromanagement style to Ingrid and her team and began to drive them all completely crazy because they didn't need it. They didn't want it. Um, And Ingrid not only is discouraged about the lack of a promotion, but also about the micromanaging style of her new leader and, and found that her advice or her input or her recommendations were rejected. And after a couple of years, she, she actually hung in there. She stayed with the organization. She went back to uh, London, and now she's uh, based in London again. She did eventually get the promotion, uh, but the basis for getting the promotion was that she had learned through her own rather bitter experience of feeling excluded, feeling like an outsider, feeling like she was being managed in the wrong way, that she needed to um, take on this more flexible management style that we we're talking about, working with her colleagues in London based on the style that was appropriate with them, working with her colleagues in India. So now she's managing a much larger team with members from both um, based, based in London, based in India, and also maybe most importantly, be based on her experience in Bangalore, she knows how to leverage the capabilities of her team members in a way that her other colleagues in London or New York do not. So so Ingrid has finally figured out what is the secret sauce to running a global team in a way that fully leverages the capability of her team members and is able to kind of use both a left brain and a a right brain approach to team leadership. Great. I love that, that flexible notion of leadership. Okay, Ernie, you've got 30 seconds if you could get managers and leaders to do five things to make stronger global teams, give it to us. 30 seconds. Well, I'll give you a three because uh, five okay. is a, a long list. But, um, first of all, I'd say go back to positioning the team for success within the matrix. So, so ask all those good questions if you're starting up the team or if you've already got a team going about are we in a position to be aligned and to work together and to share reward systems and to um, uh, point in the okay. same direction with shared priorities? Another okay. is to use all of those great facilitation techniques that you know, but use them with an eye to the full diversity on the team and think about function and gender and culture and generations, et cetera, cognitive styles, race and ethnicity. So really apply your okay. your facilitation skills across that whole spectrum of diversity. Right. And then finally, coach and leverage the capabilities of your team members and and be a people developer so that you can um, see talent, recognize talent, and draw that talent out across the globe, uh, and your team will love you. <laughs> Fabulous, Ernie. 
I have a feeling we could keep talking about this one, but I love those three, and I think I could have summarized it any better. So Ernie Gundling, co-founder and managing partner of Parian Global, and the book we've been talking about is Leading Across New Borders. Thank you, Ernie. It's been a pleasure. Next week, we'll be talking with Charlie Simpson on communicating and having greater impact. Join us then. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.